Amen. It was um, fall of my eighth grade year, middle of football season. Um, I started getting sick. I don't remember the whole progression of how this happened, but uh, was kind of sick, stayed home, um, ended up having a little bit of a fever, felt a little bit more off, and within about a day or two, I found myself in a doctor's office with just a really, really high fever and a massive amount of pain on the right side of my, my abdomen, and we went from that doctor's appointment where the doctor begins to examine me in some uncomfortable ways and then said, you need to go to the hospital right away. You have an appendicitis, and so we race over to the hospital. Um, they prep me really quickly. I go into to surgery, and surgery went fine. Everything went great. I was grateful for it, all that stuff, but, but I, I was pretty frustrated at first. It was the middle of the football season. I remember my football coach came in to the hospital room the next day and said, all right, Rob, so how long are you going to be out? And I said, coach, they just split my side open. I don't think I'm playing this season. And so I was kind of frustrated about that. And then it was just painful, and it kind of took away from the stuff I wanted to do as an eighth grader. And then over time, you just kind of get used to it. You know, you're, you're the, the scar, it heals. The injury, it heals. And I was thinking about this that I, I, I looked this up because the scar I have is pretty big because it was right before laparoscopic surgery became kind of the, the, the new way of doing things. So now it's like you get a couple of holes and they're able to get in there and they don't have to slice through all your, your muscle and all that stuff. But for me, they actually cut through the whole thing. And so over, over life, you know, you have this big scar that you see basically every day. And I've been thinking about this scar a lot as we've gone through the book of Hosea. And now this scar for me has gone from kind of being a to something I ignored, to something that I pray is like an Ebenezer. So in the Bible, an Ebenezer is like this rock of remembrance, a sign that was set up to remind us of something that God did. And here's what my scar reminds me of now. It's this great line from the book of Hosea. And if I was going to pick a theme for the book of Hosea and what God was trying to do for his people, Israel at that time, and what I pray he's been doing for us is this. He has torn us that he might heal us. Hosea has come with hard words, but not like a, a machete, like a scalpel that the world's greatest physician has wielded in order not to cause us pain, but to bring us to life. As we finish Hosea, that's my hope. It's my hope for you, whoever you are, wherever you're at, whatever you've done, wherever you've wandered, that you would come and know this healing that you would know this hope. And that wherever you go in life, you would know this. You can always come back to God. We're going to look at three things today. The idea of returning, receiving, and then responding. Returning, receiving, responding. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? This is the word of the Lord. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. 
I will be like the dew of Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Feel free to, to grab a seat. The first word um, of the first verse has got to be one of the sweetest words in the world. Return. Especially when you understand if you've trafficked through the book of Hosea, or perhaps you just have trafficked through your own life and you know how prone to wander we are. And if God's saying, stay away, he just holds this out to you. Return. The word literally means to turn, to, to turn back, to come back to the Lord. Whatever you've done, however far you've gone, come home. But the journey to come home, it does go through some unpopular territory. It's implied in this word return, it's meaning that you've, you've left, that, that we've gone somewhere where we're not supposed to be. We've gone into a place, we've done things that we shouldn't have done. We see it really clearly, though, in the second half of verse 1, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. We see it in Hosea chapter 12 and 13, which we, we spent a lot of time in the first half of Hosea 12, but we didn't spend any time in the rest of 12 or 13. But, but in those, those accounts, those chapters, what, what Hosea, the prophet of God, is doing, he's going back to the history of Israel and to three major different movements of their lives. And he's saying, at each of these places, for a thousand years, you've been chronically unfaithful. You continue to take what I have provided and you use it and squander it, not to glorify me, but to run from me. You continue to look to things that can't save you and can't, can't forgive you and can't claim you and you continue to give yourself to them. It's just going through the history of Israel. And then if you go before chapter 12 in the book of Hosea, you see this contemporary picture of, of, of Israel that's just, just unfaithful and rebellious and they're, 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 they're constantly looking to other nations for the security. They're constantly looking to other goods for their happiness. And you have this central motif of Hosea, the prophet of God, who marries a, a woman named Gomer who, who is constantly unfaithful and yet Hosea goes and he gets her again and again and again and again. This idea to return, it comes through the bad news that you are worse than you think. Welcome to Redeemer. It's the bad news before the good news to wake us up. I was doing a job interview. I was graduating college. I'd done an internship um, at a place called Digital Kitchen, which is a motion graphics studio in the Seattle area. I was doing graphic design in college, and I was able to get this internship at this place between my junior and my senior year. And so then when I graduated, I came back. They say, hey, when you, when you graduate, come back, and we'd love to talk about a possible role. And so I sit down with the principal of the company, and he says, Rob, why would you like to work here? And I look at him, and I said, because I need a job. <laughs> That's a terrible answer. To all of our graduates and people looking for, that's a, so he actually looks at me and he says, let's stop the interview. I'm not going to hire you. 
Let me tell you why. You're an idiot. He didn't say I'm an idiot, but he basically said, like, that is a terrible answer. Why would I want to hire somebody simply because they need a job? And so he actually, so he rebuked me. He called me out. He said, you got it wrong. And I filed that away. And man, the next job interview I had, I studied, studied. Well, you know, you won this award and you're involved in this and I love your client list. And, you know, basically I still need a job, but I made it sound better. (laughs) I thank God regularly for what he said. He called me out to wake me up. You cannot sidestep this. If you're going to return to the Lord, you got to know that you've wandered off. If you're going to cry out for forgiveness, you got to know that you've sinned. Unless you know your condition, you won't seek healing. The bad news is implied in the word return, that we've wandered, but there's also good news. Good news, and this is unbelievably good news. It's life-changing. Eternity-altering news. We have wandered, but this call to return means we can come back. And I'll tell you this, the, the bad news actually makes the good news that much better. Hosea is a really intimate book. As you go through the language of it and the things that are called out, it's really personal. It's really intense. There's so many personal things that are exposed God sees it all. And when you get to chapter 14, after this many chapters of God seeing it all, and he still calls them back, that makes his love that much grander and greater. It's got to be one of the most stunning exchanges that I've ever heard between a husband and a wife as the husband recounted this to me. And I've shared this many times, and I can't think of another situation that I've been up close and personal to that was more dazzling. The husband had given himself to a particular type of sin, a typical typical type of wandering away from his wife, and eventually the Lord wakes him up to it enough to to come to his wife and and to say, this is what I've done. And, and And you know that moment before, like a confession where there's just the like, I don't want to do this, I'm scared, I'm, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed. What are they going to do? How are they going to receive me? And he comes to his wife and he shares. He says, honey, I'm so sorry. It's all my fault. This is what's been going on. And her response was incredible. She grabs him, hugs him, and says, I'm so sorry this sin has you. How can I help? Tim and Kathy Keller in the, their book, The Meaning of Marriage, talk about this dynamic that is a reflection of God's love for us that can get played out in a marriage. And when it does, it's, it's beautiful. It says it like this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. Hosea teaches us that. It says, oh, I see it. And I'm still calling you mine. Oh, I see it. I know it. And I'm still saying, come back. If Hosea teaches us anything, it's at least this. God loves us at our worst. And then there's this response that happens, this invitation to return. 
this bad news, but this grander, greater news that God loves us at our worst. And then you see this, this response that, that, that begins to work out here. In verse two, it says, take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all our iniquity, accept what is good. I love this, this words, not works. Even this reference to, we'll bring these bulls as these offerings, the most commentators would say it's actually, it's like our words of, of, of petition and confession and worship will actually be like our, our sacrificial offering. We're just going to come and speak. It's not, it's not do penance. It's not how you come home. You don't negotiate the speech. You're not bartering. You're not trying to like, okay, well, I know I've messed up, but here's all the good that I have done. Let me point to the good stuff I've done. Or, or here's all the things I promised to do, God, is I'm going I'm to really clean my life up this time. He says, no, 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 just come. Just come with words. I think about this a lot, um, and we'll receive communion later, but I think about this a lot when I go to communion. I always, I, you know, God made us mind, heart, soul, body, strength. Like there's this, this complex that's on display, and the more that you can get involved in, in, in coming before the Lord, it can take these truths and make it deeper. And so one of the things I do is I prepare to go to communion. As I sit here, confess my need for him, and then I get up and I go to this table and I always come empty-handed. I just hold my hands like this before I receive the bread and the, the juice or the wine. Say, Lord, all I bring to you is need. I have nothing to lay at your altar other than my need. Would you welcome me back home again? This text is an invitation. No matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter what your track record says, no matter what your present or your future, it says just come home and just these words, I, I got nothing else except need. And this idea of words, there's different types of words. There's words of petition. Take away all iniquity. Boy, those words are, those four words are glorious. Take away all, all of it. Every single part of it. Not most, all. And I was thinking about how, you know, trucks, they have payload capacities. And if you put more into the bed of a truck than it's rated for, it can cause some serious damage. It can break the truck. My dad loaned his truck when I was a kid. I still remember the story. He loaned his truck to someone who was like, uh, they were rehabbing their pool, and they put a bunch of like the, the big tiles and slate and concrete in this truck, and they don't want to take a bunch of trips, and so they, they overloaded it by like two times as much as it should. And I think it tweaked the chassis. I was thinking about this when I was a kid. We were doing a birthday party. My dad had built this outdoor play structure, and he, he's an engineer, and so he engineered this bridge and had these, it was like a suspension bridge with like cables, which is really cool. And so me and my friends, what we decided to do was try to break the bridge. And so we all, so, you know, because thank you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. And so we're all on the bridge, and we're jumping, 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 and then the cable snap. I was at a house party at Western um, when I was in college, not recently. Um, <laughs> Although I'd go if you invite me. Um, might be weird, but I'll go. Um, well, probably not, but um, <laughs> I went to this house party, and then after, this is an important detail, okay? After I left, there are so many people in this house that the floor caved in. Now, it's on the, ba- you know, it's the ground floor, it's through the subfloor, nobody got hurt except the house, and they did not get their damage deposit back. Um, how much weight can the love of God take? Is there like a payload capacity? 
Is there a point at which you've just piled on so much unfaithfulness, so much rebellion, so much sin, so much indifference? He says, I'm done. I can't take anymore. I've reached the end. Oh, I kept welcoming you back, but you kept, you've, you've exhausted all of my resources. Again, look at verse two. Take away all iniquity. The reason we can pray that is because God's love has no breaking point. In Christ, you cannot exhaust his love. Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, says it like this, God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin and wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. There is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon. And over, there is no sin that is a match for his grace. Not a type, not an amount. Psalm 136, it repeats this line over and over again. There's 26 verses in Psalm uh, 136, and it repeats this line 26 different times. It's, it's a statement, then this line, a statement, then this line, for 26 times, because it's, I think what's happening here is the hardest thing for us to believe is that we cannot break God's love. The hardest thing for us to believe, because we have all these dynamics in our relationships with others, but that God will always welcome his people back. He will always do it. The line that I would encourage you to stamp on your life in Christ that underwrites the offer to return is this. His steadfast love endures forever. But you don't know what I've done. His steadfast love endures forever. You don't know how many times I've yelled at my kids. His steadfast love endures forever. You don't know how angry I get when I drive. His steadfast love endures forever. You don't know that I cheat on my taxes. His steadfast love endures forever. You don't know my browser history. His steadfast love endures forever. You don't know what I did last night. His steadfast love endures forever. You don't know the thoughts of my head. His steadfast love endures forever. You don't know the, the, the rampant desires I have in my heart. God sees it all and his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. When you're slow to wake up in the morning to spend time with him. His steadfast love endures forever. When you wander away for years and the next time you come into a church building, I want you to hear his steadfast love, it endures forever. It never stops. Hosea, God loving us at our worst. It's one of the things I love about this book. When it puts our junk on display, it highlights the grace of God for anyone that would come. Dean Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says it like this. We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls go up. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required. I love this next line. This is really important. First at conversion and a thousand times thereafter until we are with him upon death. We have words of petition. There's, there's words of confession in this. So we're asking, we're saying petition, we're requesting, God, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for this and this, for all of it? And then there's this confession. There's a recognition of, of, of wrong doing. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more our God to the works of our hands. It's saying they'd, they'd built these political alliances with Assyria to try to give them national security. That's what Israel was doing. They'd built all sorts of idols. 
Um, we're not at risk of trusting Assyria for our national security and our personal joy and freedom, but we are always at risk of trusting something other than God. Always at risk of it. We're finding our ultimate joy or happiness in something other than God. So he says, come and just confess that. And then we see these words of recognition, or we say words of praise um, that begin to, to happen in this text. And we see in this last line, you know, in you, the orphan or the fatherless, they find mercy. It's a recognition of what God is like that actually invites us to come back. My brother and I um, in high school, we used to fight all the time. Um, Really good friends now. He lives like three doors from my house, which is really cool, very redemptive. Um, but we used to fight a lot, and we were fighting one time. And I, I, he was really good at like needling me, He's really sharp-tongued, and I would just go berserk. I would just lose my mind. Ah! I, was younger, I was two years younger, and so I would just go animal. And so he's messing with me, and I just start freaking out, and he knows I'm about to start swinging or something. And so he darts on the other side of the house, and my dad's at work. He runs into my dad's bedroom. He locks the door, and I just do on sprint down the hallway and I cannonball into the door and I go busting through the door and my brother and the hinges of the door flew off that the doorknob itself bent and my brother's on the couch going <laughs> like a little poodle it's great it's like the proudest moment of my life Brian if you listen to this I love you um, obviously we stopped because at that point it's like dad's gonna be home what do we do and so we called one of my buddy's dad, who was pretty handy. Hey, hey, Mr. Mike, can you come and try to help us fix the door? Well, why? What happened to it? That's not, it doesn't matter. Just bring your tools quick. Um, we tried to fix the door. We couldn't fix the door because I'm worried. I'm nervous. I messed up, right? My dad's going to come home and break in the house. He's out working hard and comes home. My dad didn't do anything. Had me help him fix it. And I should have known. I should have known the character of my dad. You know, I broke the neighbor's window playing baseball, and I came home so scared to tell him. He's like, Rob, come on. We'll fix it. We'll go get some glass. We'll get the putty. <laughs> we used to do such stupid stuff. You know, we'd take, the, we'd take soda cans, and, and we'd have BB guns, and it'd be like, okay, Brian, chuck it in the air. I'll try to shoot it. You know, and you're like shooting BB guns in the back of your suburban Seattle house. And, uh, but you didn't think about where the BBs went when you, when you missed. My dad's bedroom window just had all of these holes. <laughs> When my brother wrecked his car, wasn't even a month old. He bought a new, new Jeep. We're out being idiots. T-bones one of his friends in someone's front yard. I go up to the, the person's house it is, knock on the door. I'm saying, I'm, I'm sorry, that's our car in your ditch. Um, can I use your phone? You know, you're so scared. You call, and the first thing he says is, is, is anyone hurt? It probably wasn't the first thing he said, like, in his mind. It's the first thing he said to us. When you think of God, what comes first? When you think of how he's going to handle you. That, that moment when you say, man, I, I really want to bring this to him. How's he going to receive me? When you, the, the orphan, finds mercy, the fatherless finds mercy. It's this sort of, how can I give up on you? In chapter 11, how can I give up on you? My heart recoils within me. 
Or Hosea chapter 3, this interplay between Hosea and his wife Gomer, she gives herself again unfaithfully. And Hosea goes and says, come back with me. You're mine. You'll always be mine. His steadfast love, it endures forever. Verse 1 through 3, it's this invitation to return. Verses 4 through 8, I'll speed this up a bit, um, is what we receive when we do. I mean, this is just such a loaded text, such a loaded chapter. This 1 through 3, okay, this invitation to return, 4 through 8, this is what we'll get. This is what God promises to do if we'll turn from our running, turn from our sin, and turn back towards him. And there's this great pairing of words, this two-word phrases in verses 4 through 7. I will... And then he shall, or we could say we shall. So I will, God is saying, this is what I will do. And then we will, this is what we will do. So this is what God's going to do. And then here's the results of what God is going to do. And this is what he says. He says, I will heal you. I will heal your apostasy. I will, I will fully heal you. When we come to him, I mean, look at what God doesn't say. Say, I will scold you. I will shame you. I'll beat you up. I'll welcome you back, but I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I will punish you. I will give you the silent treatment. So often our interaction with the Father is directed for good and for bad by our interactions with our fathers or our guardians or our parental figures. And I want you to hear, like when you come back to the Lord, it's not a lecture. It's an embrace. It's an I will, I will heal you. I will, I will heal your apostasy. And that's an interesting word. It can mean faithlessness. It can mean defection. But it can also mean turning. I will heal your turning. You've turned away from me. I will heal that. Turn back to me. And what you'll find is open arms. I've shared the story of my brother uh, breaking my leg. He would say, I broke it. We broke it together wrestling. I won't go into the gruesome details of it because every time I do, it actually is fun for me to watch people squirm. But I will not go into that other than um, to comment on this. When the first responders, when the paramedics came in the room and I'm laying on the ground, writhing in pain, here's what they didn't do. They say, how did it happen? Why were you fighting with your brother? What's wrong with you? Don't you know that's not what you should do? You know what? You did this to yourself. They just healed me. They did everything they could to stabilize, to remove pain in order that I might get healed. Scott Saul's in a book. It's just uh, been a really good book. I just started Friday, so I'm two-thirds through. I'm not done. I can't fully recommend it, but called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen says this. As we lie on the ground in our self-inflicted wounds and stupors, our great physician Jesus intentionally moves towards us, gets onto the ground with us, and breathes new life and hope into us. This is who he is, and this is what he does. His answer to our sin is not condemnation, but grace. His answer to our shame is not rejection, but tenderness. His answer to our repeat failures is not last straw cancellation, but never-ending embrace. His answer to our slowness to listen is not disgusted retreat, but pursuing kindness. His answer to the grossest things about us it's not to shout us down and shut us out, but to quiet us with his love. 
His steadfast love, it endures forever. I will fully heal. I will freely love. We see this as it goes on. I will, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. Now, Hosea 14 is not the only place in this book where God tells us of his love for a wayward people. Hosea 2 says it like this. Behold, I will allure her and speak tenderly to her. I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me. I'm going to covenant myself to you forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Scott Saul says it like he says, and the message from the Lord to his unfaithful, adulterous, prodigal people is clear. He will never leave or forsake us. Though we are repeatedly unfaithful to him, he will never be unfaithful to us. Though he may withdraw his presence from us when we, when we cheat on him with false and insufficient lovers such as sex or money or power or politics or outrage, he will remain with us and true to us for better, for worse, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health as long as we live and into eternity. At our very worst, God does not stop loving us. His steadfast love, it endures forever. He says, I will freely love for my anger has turned turn away. And the question would be, well, where did his anger go? Because there is a right anger. There is a right judgment. There is right uh, antagonism towards our running and our rebellion. Well, we get the answer throughout Hosea. We get it throughout the Bible. One chapter earlier in Hosea, we see a quotation that's actually used in the New Testament connected to Christ. Um, it's, it's this beautiful text out of 1 Corinthians 15, 4, 54 and following. I think we have a slide for this one. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the same that is written. And then it says a quotation from Hosea 13. Death, it's swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And then here's the commentary on that. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't miss this. The place of God's covenantal commitment, the place of forgiving, the place of healing, the place of embrace, the place of welcome is the place of the cross where Christ gave his life. He lived what we were meant to live. And then he died what we deserved, that we who did not deserve mercy might be brought in. That's why we know if, if, if God did not spare his own son, but he gave him for us, how much more will he, he, what good thing might he withhold? There's no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's how we're coming back in Christ. I'm empty handed, but Christ is not empty handed. Scott Saul says, like, we're not going to be judged by the last thing we did, but the last thing Christ accomplished when he was on the cross, and he said, it is finished. His steadfast love endures forever. And what's amazing here, so we're, we're, we're healed, we're loved freely, but then look at this beautiful change that happens here, and I want you, this is an important note in this chapter. You're not just stuck as sinners who rebel. We're actually beautified. Verses uh, five and following, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoot shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. His fragrance like Lebanon. This is saying is that, that God forgives us, but then he also causes us to flourish. 
He forgives us and he also transforms us. He forgives us and he also changes us. He, he, he is faithful to us and he also, he beautifies us. The, the blossom here and the, the trees of Lebanon were this idea, this, this phrase of beauty and bearing. It's beautiful and majestic. And what's amazing is the way you get there is through the path of self-recognition of our need for grace and our need for forgiveness. I, I would say that the, the people I know that are the most gracious and the most merciful, the most empathetic, the most long-suffering are those that have a deep aware of their own sinfulness and the incredible grace of God. They've been cracked up through life and they've done a lot of the cracking up themselves. And they've come back to the Lord and they've experienced his tender embrace and they become those types of people. That's what this is saying, that, that how Israel is gonna get beautified is by a recognition, not by a minimization of, oh, I'm a sin, sinner, oh, yes, I know I've messed up, but saying, no, no, I am, I am raw and I'm a rebel. But look how the Lord has loved me. How can I not love those around me? This text, his shoot shall spread out. Um, Tim Chester makes this insight. He says that literally his shoots shall come. Um, and, and what it refers to is new growth that comes from something that's dead. This dead stump, but God by his kindness will bring new growth. This last winter, uh, it was a bad winter around here. Like single digits for weeks, feet of snow. Remember like you, I'm looking out in my neighborhood and, I, and there's parts of it that were so beautiful. But, it, but it's also, it just, at some point, it just becomes ice and frozen. It looks like there's no life. But underneath all of that ice and all of that snow and all of that barren dirt are seeds just waiting to, to, to spring forth and give life. And all they need is an experience with the sun. No matter how dead your faith is, no matter how dry you feel, no matter how long it's been since you met with the Lord, he can bring life. He says, return. His steadfast love never ceases. It endures forever. Verse seven gets kind of tricky here. I'll try to unpack this somewhat quickly. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. Um, the, the, The trick with it though is that actually there's a little footnote next to the word my, at least in the ESV, the Bible I'm preaching from, and the, the literal Hebrew that's there is actually his. So I think that what's happening here is not they shall dwell, speaking of Israel, or my people shall return and dwell beneath my, meaning God's shadow, although we do that, we dwell under his shadow and under his refuge. I actually think what it's saying is they shall return and dwell beneath his shadow. They shall flourish like the grain, they shall blossom like the vine, and their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. I think what it's saying is that as Israel comes back to the Lord, as God's people come back to him and they begin to get beautified by him, they begin to plant their lives lives and communities where other people that don't yet know him begin to come in and get to know him. They begin, the, the communities in which we're in begin to dwell under the shadow of the gracious uh, the grace that we've been given by God. And we do see that emphasized here at the end of seven. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. The, the renown of them is going to be known. So let me give you the text flow. God is like dew which waters the dry desert, brings forth what is beautiful and bountiful and majestic and rooted, and then God produces flourishing that's spreads so that other people can flourish. Tim Chester in his commentary on Hosea says this, when we turn to God in repentance and faith, he not only makes us flourish, 
He makes other people flourish through us. It's a missional promise. God is promising to use us to provide shade and protection for people. He is promising to make us a source of life to people as we live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. The full title of um, Scott Saul's newest book, beautiful, so it's Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, and then here's the subtitle, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. God uses all three of those things. The first one, though, regret, is applicable to Hosea. How God uses regret. All that stuff we wish we hadn't done. All the good that we didn't do that we wish we would have done. Regret often flows from guilt over our choices, our sin. In Saul's book, he, he tells of the story of John Newton. And he talks about John Newton who, who lived a horrific life, participating deeply in the transatlantic slave trade, giving his life to the oppression and harm and hurt of other image bearers. And then at some point, God reaches down and in his kindness to someone who is rotten, saves him. He claims him. He rances him out of that lifestyle. He pulls him into that which is new life. And as, as Newton was just racked by, by guilt over what he'd done, which he was guilty, and didn't know where to go with it, here's where he went. He went to writing a song. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. The Holy Spirit, you made me see. See, the, the, the way you write those lyrics is you actually believe you're a wretch. You actually believe you're sinful. You actually believe you're blind. And he looked at his life and said, oh, I got, I got nothing else to look at except I was running from God and I was rebelling to God. And here's what's amazing. You become like these trees that begin to flourish and other people bask in the shade. That song has been translated in like 50 languages. That song has been sung millions and millions and millions of times. People have been brought into the experience that he had. Don't be afraid of your histories. Don't be afraid of your regrets. Don't be afraid of your guilt. Bring them before the Lord and let him come in that place and let him remind you that his steadfast love endures forever. And then you go from that experience with the Lord and you go into every relationship and say, oh, I want to tell you about a God who will forgive you. I want to tell you about a God who will not be done with you if you come to him. Oh, he's been so kind to me. He'll be so kind to you. See, the bad news of our stories makes the good news that much more dazzling. We need to finish you're all like, we, you're the one preaching, I know. I need to finish. Um, verse 8, oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. You have the I wills, then the we shalls, and then this last statement, I am. And what God is saying to his people says, all the things that you've been looking for to give you hope, all the things you've been looking for to give you satisfaction, all the things you've been looking for to give you security, all the things you've been looking for to make you feel okay about you, they come from me. So how we're gonna respond to this, because we see this in verse nine. Hosea was written not just for God's people then, but for God's people now, and for those that are not yet his people, but are being invited today. Whoever is wise, let them understand these things. And this is saying, what are you going to do with this offer of grace that God has given? He says, return, and I'll heal you. 
and I'll love you. And so how we're going to do it is we do every single week, we receive communion together. And, and I thought this would be the perfect way of illustrating why we receive communion every single week as a church, because it's always the best application of the passage. In a, in a minute, we're going we're gonna to sit before the Lord. There's gonna, the band will play. You, you'll be able to go to this table. And what, what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I've run from you. I know if I come back to you, you won't stiff arm me. And so when you go to that table, maybe you consider holding your hands open. Say, I'm not bringing anything. I'm not, I'm not bartering with you. I'm not trying to convince you to take me back. I'm coming in what Christ has done alone. As you take that bread representing his body and you dip it in the juice or the wine representing his blood spilled, it's, it, you're, you're declaring, you're, you're acting out this text. You're returning and you're being reminded of healing and reminded of forgiveness and you're declaring his steadfast love. It endures forever. Let's pray. Precious Father, what a kind book and a kind text, even though it can be a cutting book and a cutting text. God, I am, I hope this church knows, I am the chief of sinners. So unworthy to be called your son. And yet you declare I'm yours. This room is full of people we can't merit our way back, but we, we're not supposed to. Christ has done all of it for us. Might this be such a liberating moment where we're able to put aside our records of rights, our records of wrongs, and we just come empty before you. Restore us, God. Heal us. Turn us back to you. We know it takes the work of the Spirit. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do that. That the truth of Psalm 136, the truth of Hosea, would ring true in our ears and it would would grow and grow and resound louder and louder. That your steadfast love, it endures forever. All for Jesus, all because of Jesus, and all for Jesus' glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the band's going to... They're going to come.